I'm ready. Perfect. Welcome to another Launch It podcast. Today, as always, you got me, Matt. I got myself, JP. And uh, joining us today is uh, Steve. Uh, he had a wonderful background, but due to some technical difficulties, we didn't get rid of it. But he's joining us uh, from the Port of Windsor, and you know, we're going to be learning, learning a lot of things today. It's been a while since we did uh, a podcast, but you know, we're going to be here for to learn a lot of things. And uh, well, I'll let Matt take it over just from here. I usually do that for the last piece, so I'll let you take this one. <laughs> <laughs> well, Steve, you know, thanks for joining us. Um, you know, the big question, I guess, uh, I, I'd like, I'm, I guess most people would wonder is, tell us a little bit about yourself and the Port of Windsor first. You know, tell us what, what happens with the Port of Windsor, because I don't think a lot of people realize there is a Port in Windsor. Well, you know, that's a, it's a great intro because the truth is I, I came here three years ago, uh, not from the port world. I've come from a lot of administrative uh, government backgrounds, uh, public sector backgrounds, uh, but grew up in this city, literally grew up two blocks from the riverfront, uh, was general manager at the city of Windsor, um, was the government lead on the construction of a $2 billion parkway and the site selection for a five or now I guess $6 billion Gordie Howe Bridge to the United States from Windsor to Detroit. <clears throat> and, and what astounded me is when this job became available three years ago, uh, despite that geography, despite those roles, despite uh, the fact that <clears throat> I lived in the city all my life, other than a couple of gravel piles and uh, an oil tank, uh, I had no idea where or what the port of Windsor was. Um, well, you know, I, 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 my wife, in fact, told me, you know, hey, you should apply this job. They're looking for a president. I said, what the hell do I know about ports? And uh, apparently I knew enough to become president, but, uh, you know, which I hope doesn't say too little. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, having said that, uh, you know, what, what astounded me is that, um, you know, in preparing for the preparing for the job, for the interview, uh, I, I come to realize how critically important uh, ports are. You know, we all see them. We see ships docked, you know, at every major lakeside or seaside town we go to. But what we don't realize, and what I didn't realize anyways, and when I talk to people, is, is how big they are. You know, uh, every day, 850 people to come to work in the Port of Windsor. You know, we generate $270 million in, in, in activity. We buy $42 million worth of local product every year. You know, $60 million in wages go back out into the community every year. And we have impacts on the community, too, because, uh, you know, we're, you know, we, we, we're, we might be, you know, on the border, uh, two, two fairly good sized cities, one for Canada, you know, uh, uh, Windsor and Detroit's a major American city. But the truth is, once you leave the, the municipality here, you're in a large rural agricultural area. And, you know, I, I find out that that you know, a four liter jug of oil that I've been buying or the fries I've been buying at McDonald's or Wendy's or Burger King all comes from vegetable oil made right here in Port Windsor. Um, ADM, uh, you know, one of the largest food companies in the world has a large seed crushing plant here and they buy 80% of all seed, you know, all uh, soya bean, corn that's growing in three counties around here plus shiploads and shiploads of canola oil from the prairies. And you know, that's going on here. You know, I find out we have a salt mine that provides Toronto, Chicago, Toledo, um, you know, Thunder Bay with road salt. You know, I knew we had a road salt plant, but I figured local. No, it's across, you know, the area. Um, you know, I find out that, uh, you know, when you hear of, uh, 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 of of European steel and Japanese steel, Korean steel, um, you know, th these are specialty products that are coming into our industry. They're, they're coming through Port Windsor from across the globe. Then we're shipping out grains, you know, to South America, to Europe. Um, you know, suddenly Windsor uh, is a major player on the globe because of the port. You know, and then, you know, I learned other things about our port here, that we have the largest ship fueling depot on the Great Lakes. I saw these large, you know, uh, oil tanks, you know, on the sign. I thought, well, they're kind of unsightly, you know, uh, what are those for? I find out how critically important they are to this community and to the shipping industry. But, you know, 
the, the truth is, is that it's a very invisible industry to us all. Most of us don't see the productivity. Often it's fenced off. It's usually in a more industrial area. We have no real desire or need to go see it. Uh, or if we could see it, um, you know, uh, you know, we, we, it's probably more fascinating to younger children to say, hey, look, a big boat, you know, because uh, I think I was that kid. Uh, but now I realize that, you know, uh, th those ships, uh, you know, affect everything we do. Uh, you know, it's, it's a stat, Matt, I know you know, 90% uh, of everything we touch, we wear, we eat, we sleep on, uh, anything, you know, goods and products in our home, in our workplaces, 90% of them have been on a ship at some point in their life cycle. Um, that's just an extraordinary number. Yeah. It's crazy. Even, even the interprovincial like, connection, because I grew up in, in St. Catharines, and I yeah. they talk about looking at the boats. I yeah. used to go to the Welland Canal, and I used to just watch the boats go up and down. You'd, you'd look at the flag, and you'd realize how much international boats would come through. But I guess my question for you is, you talk about the prairie grain. Does that pick up like the port of Thunder Bay then, and then come down to winter? That's now? correct. Yeah, I think, you know, we all grew up in school hearing about, you know, the lakehead, Thunder Bay, you know, we all learned about the waving, the waves of wheat on the prairies. Um, it, frankly, it's more canola now than wheat. <laughs> it's more valuable. But uh, but that's exactly what happens. Um, that that product, you know, across three entire provinces is harvested. Some of it's put on rail cars and sent out to Vancouver for eastern destinations. Uh, but a good amount of it as well, about 10 million tons a year comes through Thunder Bay. Some of it's going to local markets like us. We need that canola in order to process it into vegetable oil. Uh, we also then when we when we when we extract the oil out of it, it becomes a high protein animal feed, and that's fed into uh, Europe and South America. A very important product for us. And because of their grain handling capacities, they not only uh, process, purchase, and process grains. They also purchase and process grains for the purpose of export, which is so vital to our economy. You know, we, we've long been a breadbasket to the world. That hasn't changed. Uh, you know, we, we certainly are, you know, an industrial economy. We're certainly a much smarter economy now, but agriculture and food will always be core to our economy. And, uh, and although we tend to see ourselves here as the automotive city, uh, we're also a major agricultural player. Uh, which includes our own grains and Thunder Bay grains. Now, you know, 10 million, 10 million uh, uh, tons a year out, out of Thunder Bay. If you put 25,000 tons of the ship, do the math, you can imagine just how many ships are going in and out of Thunder Bay. And every single one of them pass Windsor on their way out to uh, either Montreal or world destinations. So you got ships coming from like Europe, they go down St. Lawrence, down the Welland Canal and up into the Yes, Bay. yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, they uh, what they tend to do, uh, just like a truck doesn't want to run empty one way, they tend to bring product in. So if they're bringing steel in from somewhere across the globe um, uh, for manufacturing in Canada, the United States, they will stop at a port somewhere along the la the the, uh, the lakes and then get up to Thunder Bay to refill, to refill uh, with grain and come on back. That's really important that they're not running empty or sitting uh, still. Yeah, it's a large logistics operation. Oh, the, the, the boats on the sea where you can do the marine traffic. Yeah, because you don't really look at the, the, the Great Lakes as marine traffic. See, every, when everybody, I know at least me, when, even the logistics, when you think of boats, you think of the, the what are they called, the Pemex uh, ones that go to the big container. Panamax, yes. That's what yeah. thinks of, you know, 10,000, what is it, 10,000 TEUs or whatever that Well, that, that's what they used to be. Yeah, they used to be 10,000 TEUs, uh, something equivalent, uh, basically a container. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and now the, they're, they're well to 16,000, 18,000. The newest ones that just came out are in the 20,000 range. And uh, Korea and China are now designing new ones in the 25, 26,000 range. So when you imagine or visualize a container ship in your mind, those are probably eight, 10,000, those traditional ships. The new ones are three times uh, longer than a football field. They're wider and longer than an aircraft carrier. <laughs> you know, these are just massive vessels and they're, um, uh, and the height of them, uh, you know, you know, it's not measured in tens; it's measured in hundreds of feet. <laughs> wow! 
Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, the, the Suez is a great question. Is a great thing to bring up. I mean, we we tend to, we we all learned how critical that passageway was, and when that ship got uh, beached and blocked, the Suez, and there was tra uh, traffic backing up all week long. Um, well, the Detroit River, because everything that's going between the upper and lower lakes, uh, you know, we're the we're the connector. Uh, we're really more of a strait than a river. It was a bad naming 100 or 200 years ago, but we're stuck with it now. Um, but, uh, you know, more, more, more um, vessels pass through the Detroit River on a daily basis than the Suez Canal. You know, this is a very busy waterway. We are the largest, longest, busiest inland waterway in the world. And again, it's invisible to us. We're a quiet industry. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. And yet, um, you know, we are selling, we are importing and selling and moving product uh, across the, uh, the, the five Great Lakes between Canada and U.S. and across the globe. I, 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 that boggles my mind. I didn't even know. Like, that, that's a huge number because everybody thinks of the Suez Canal as being like the most, one of the most traffic besides the Panama Canal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The Detroit, the Detroit Strait, I guess, a better naming. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we'll rename it on this show. <laughs> it's official. We dubbed it first. Uh, it's far more. That's, you know, I, I've gone to the Detroit. It doesn't feel like there's that many boats. But when you look, I guess, at the Evanstadt, the Suez, there's only my mind that says there's so much more. That's interesting. Yeah. So, uh, so tell us maybe a little bit more about the Port of Windsor, um, the operation itself. Is, like, is it the way that people picture in their minds? Because I know people usually pick, uh, see when they think of a port, UK people. When I think of a port, I think of you know like Rotterdam or or Hamburg. You know, you got these giant cranes. You see containers, yes. containers. And now, from the sounds of it, it's not what, what most ports are like. It's not definitely what. The no, th those aren't inland water ports. Uh, again, you know, we, we, when we think of ports and shipping, we do. We think of those Panamax. We think of containers and container ships and the giant overhead cranes lifting the containers out and sliding them down on the trucks below. Um, those are seaside ports, and, and, and most certainly we have this, those in this country. You know, uh, we have some very large ones, uh, Montreal, Quebec, uh, most certainly Vancouver and uh, Prince Rupert. I mean, these are big, big ports uh, on a world scale. But uh, the ports that we have in the inland waters, you know, whether it's Windsor or Chicago, Hamilton or Minnesota, Thunder Bay or Detroit, um, we deal with really... Um, the, the import export of product into the you know industrial heartland or it's really the economic heartland of North America uh, and out of the economic you know uh, back out to the world um, the truth is those large Panamax even the 8,000 size ships that you know were, are now 10 20 years old um, those are simply too massive and too large to get into the Great Lakes uh, they, they will not get through the St. Lawrence. Uh, there are locks on the St. Lawrence as well, and they most certainly will not get through the Welling Canal. Yeah, 760 feet, I think, is the Welling Canal, and that's it. Uh, so when you see 1,000-foot ships on the Upper Great Lakes, they never leave the Upper Great Lakes. They, you know, they're moving, you know, got uh, iron ore, coal, or uh, grain, you know, uh, between Cleveland, Thunder Bay, Hamilton, Windsor, Detroit. Um, you know, Duluth, et cetera. Uh, so there are really two types of shipping systems in the world. And, and, um, and that's why, we, you know, we have the, the term salties, which are uh, seagoing vessels, uh, which are really, you know, the major ports that we tend to think of when we think of a port, where they're internally, it's the delivery uh, and export from local markets, uh, supplying local markets, uh, but also supplying the world. Uh, now, it's, what's interesting is the, when they uh, developed the Welland Canal in the 50s, uh, no one really moved back and forth. You, you had smaller ships in the upper lakes and you had uh, some ocean vessels that were small enough to get through the St. Lawrence and serving Lake Ontario. Lake Ontario. And that's as far as they went. And, and when they built the Welland Canal, uh, the upper lake shippers realized, oh my goodness, uh, they're going to come in and eat our lunch now. So they decided they had to build ships that could go, you know, could, that were big enough to go that way. And that's why we created and now have what we see as that, that classic Laker profile, you know, the long ship with the cap on the end or the cap, the, you know, the captain's house in the front and the, and the engine on the back. 
Um, that was in direct competition to the world trade. Now, those ships don't leave the Great Lakes. They'll go as far as Montreal, maybe, but not much further. They can't cross the ocean reliably. Uh, but they, they're, they're Great Lakes ships. And that's true across the globe. I mean, the busiest water, one of the busiest waterways in North America is, is the Mississippi. And those are simply barges. If you've been to New Orleans or anywhere along the Mississippi, you see these very wide, flat barges that, you know, that have very low draft, only a few feet draft. Um, and they move so much product down uh, to the Gulf of Mexico, uh, one after another. And so you, you adapt to your local conditions, and usually it's got to do with water depth uh, and, and navigation. Uh, these big, big ocean vessels uh, can't navigate or get enough draft to come through the Great Lakes. That's crazy. Yeah. I guess something I was interested in is, because um, of the whole COVID-19 situation, how did it kind of pan out when everything all started last year and where things are in terms of terms of your operation at the port? Well, um, you know, in the beginning, none of us knew what was happening. We didn't understand uh, the COVID. We didn't understand the impacts locally or, or globally. We didn't know if this was a short-term or a long-term thing. <clears throat> so I think we, we reacted as, um, as, as humans tend to. We acted out of fear and self-protection. Um, and, and so one, one, of the most, one of the more immediate causes uh, were... Um, people were afraid of ships from outside of their community. In particular, they were afraid, they weren't so afraid of other Canadian ships or American ships coming through the communities. They were afraid of foreign vessels coming into the Great Lakes. <clears throat> and there was a, a move to say that, uh, no, no, nobody can get off the ship. Well, these people have been at you know, sea for several weeks sometimes, you know, they've been on a ship for several months. Uh, and under international convention, they're allowed to come off, um, uh, go, you know, go locally to get uh, supplies, um, uh, you know, for, for personal needs or medical, et cetera. But uh, many, many ports and virtually all ports in the beginning were saying no one's allowed to leave the ship. Sorry. Well, we have an international convention. Tough. <laughs> you know, we're protecting our community. Um, and and as, we, as, as we learned more about the disease and as we uh, became, frankly, a little more rational and reasonable, uh, it also became apparent that uh, we, we were seeing the situation uh, completely from the wrong side. It turned out that it was the ship's captain who was deathly afraid of us. His crew had been at sea for two weeks or four weeks. They're fine. They've all been quarantined. They had no choice. They've been at sea, right? They come into our community and they say, no, no, just stay at the end of the gangplank. Don't come on my ship. <laughs> You know, uh, and so we, we you know, suddenly the tables turned on us and we felt a little silly. Yeah. <laughs> and we thought, what were we afraid of? You know, of course they're fine. They've been, they've been on ship for weeks um, uh, and we had to protect them. So a couple of things happened. We, we decided we needed uh, to have a, a local response, a local response to ships coming to our community to let them know that we take their safety and health seriously. But we also had a public relations issue with our community and many communities uh, to share that story and information as well, that we are taking measures and precautions to ensure that, uh, you know, visiting foreign ships that are visiting our community or docking our community are not uh, at risk to us. Uh, so we had to lay those concerns. So we created a concept of, uh, of safe ports. And it was a certification process that you had to have protocols in place, controls in place, uh, record keeping in place, much like you, you know, you, you do in workplaces anywhere, you know, uh, if you've been anywhere, check your temperature, uh, you know, when's the last time you, you know, had exposure to somebody else uh, in another country. And that brought great relief to those ships to know that we are a safe port. Windsor was the first in Canada, uh, that we are a safe port. Uh, then we also certified um, uh, ships as well to say these are safe ships. They they have taken precautions. We've they've gone through a checklist, and we're satisfied. Our, our national association did this that we that we're satisfied that uh, fact that they are doing all the right things to protect their health and safety and our community's health and safety. So that was a good thing. Now one of the real real sad things is. Um, is because of all the restrictions, travel restrictions across the globe. It turned out that uh, these crews who had the misfortune of being on a ship back in March of 2020, many of them were still on a ship 
um, as, early, as, as recently as this January or February. They cannot get crew exchanges. Uh, they, they exchange crews by uh, pre-arrangements where they'll fly a crew into a, a, a community uh, and then they switch. You know, all 14 will leave, 14 will come on, and then they're at sea again for a month, two or three, depending on the, the shipping line and the country. Uh, but they couldn't get a, a crew exchange because Canada and every other major Western country certainly uh, wouldn't let these crews fly into our country. We had travel restrictions. Uh, or they had to quarantine for two weeks or three weeks somewhere, and the shipping companies were prepared to do it. Uh, so they, you know, too many, too many of these companies that are flagged offshore simply said, "You're not leaving." And so we had, I believe, uh, uh, in the first six or eight months, we had about one, one and a half million seafarers who had not been off the ship in six months. Yeah, it was almost a floating prison for them. You know, and, and I think if you realize that, um, you know, uh, Canadian and American ships, you know, we live by American Canadian laws, but those aren't the laws around the globe. And, and, um, and much as when we visit, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, tourist destinations, we realize these people aren't making $20 an hour. <clears throat> well, and their working conditions are so great. It's not untrue on, on, on ships on, on the globe as well. It's, you know, our, our American, North American standard of labor is not a world standard, unfortunately. And, um, and so they are pretty much, uh, you know, they, they were pretty much uh, contained in that ship with nowhere to go. They couldn't get off because they were, you know, no country would let them get off. And, uh, and frankly, they didn't have a crew to replace them. And neither did the captain want to risk them getting off and getting contaminated and contaminating his whole crew. And now his ship is stuck because he can't get a replacement crew. So it became a real labor, uh, labor management, uh, not labor management. It became a human resource issue. You know, um, you know uh, how, do you, how do you maintain morale on a ship for months upon months with no replacements, the absence from their families, uh, no, sh no shore leave, no recreation leave? At the same time, um, you know, um, how do you maintain their productivity and their morale and, you know, uh, uh, and, and the spirits aboard? I mean, I, I'm sure it was, you know, uh, not only emotionally difficult for many of these sailors or uh, seafarers, but uh, I, I'm sure it was a, a real management task as well to uh, keep these people working and, 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 uh, and keep the, the temperature down. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it, some of these ships have fairly decent accommodations. Others are a little older and not so decent. <laughs> numbers I wish I did uh, we have a number of major carriers obviously we you know um, uh, we have navcan uh, CSL Algoma these are major uh, these are major Canadian uh, shipping companies you, you see their boats on the lakes all the time you stand the well under the Troy River here a uh, number of American companies so if they're a Laker you know uh, that they're, they're American or Canadian uh, but uh, you'll see probably uh, on the on the lake, probably half to a third to a half are are foreign vessels. Crazy. So, what are like so those, what are some of the countries that you see coming through the port of Windsor that you didn't expect to see at the port of Windsor? Like, what's the most? What, what, what's one that stumped you? You went, wow! I didn't know they didn't come all the way to port. Uh, well, the, certainly we have Chinese ships. That's a lot. That's literally the other side of the globe. Uh, Russian ships. Um, the. Uh, uh, they uh, certainly from all over Europe, uh, Korean ships, Japanese ships, uh, ships from Northern Europe, Norway. Yeah. How do the Chinese ships, so, so they go across the, uh, Panama or they go across uh, South Africa? Like, how do they get here? It depends on where they were. I mean, if they, it depends where they were going, right? If they, they may have come through the Panama, uh, if they were coming here. 
uh, directly. Uh, depends, you know, they may have had a shipment uh, elsewhere in the globe and it was more direct to come here. They may have worked their way the opposite way, you know, to Vancouver and then through the Panama. We never know, but mostly through the Panama. Um, so the Panama is the, is the most direct route, you know, to um, to, to Europe and uh, Eastern uh, markets. It's one of the reasons, of course, why, you know, the, the Western seaports of, you know, uh, Prince Rupert and Vancouver, Seattle, Long Beach, they're doing so well because of that direct route, you know, to the Asian market and transportation of goods. Um, but uh, it's still... Um, it's still a lot of transportation across North America and it's cheaper and, and, and better logistics to ship it, you know, take uh, another many days and go through the Panama and into the Eastern market directly. But, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I know it's only a few days across the Atlantic, but uh, you know, across the Pacific, down to Panama, and up again. Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. And plus, there's smaller boats that are coming down to the lakes too, right? So, you, you, I, I, if you imagine going across the Pacific on the smaller boat, you got a 150 foot swell of an ocean. Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean, you 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 are some. Yeah, I mean, these ocean salties that come into the Great Lakes, they're, you know, uh, you know, plus four hundred, less seven hundred. You know, they're between four and seven hundred foot. Um, these aren't big ships to be out, as you say, in a hundred foot wave. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and you feel a bit like a top. Like you feel a bit like a cork bobbing in water. I'm sure. The Edmund best Fitzgerald, show. right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's, I, I don't know. I, it, it's, it seems like a precarious job in itself. So these guys are, all, all, you know, kudos to them. You know, we, we do the thank the trucker. We, we thank you know, a, a, a shipper here uh, at the very least or something. Yeah, I, I just couldn't imagine to be out in the middle of the ocean. Uh, it's, you know, when the, they're dealing with waves on a regular basis that are literally a wall of water, you know, coming towards you and you go up and over them or through them a bit. Um, you know, to do that for hours or days on end is is more courage than I have. <laughs> so, I know you and I talked about maybe the, the neat statistic about Port of Windsor. What's the size in terms of Canada? I think you said the third or fourth. Yeah. Well, again, that's right. I mean, so we, we're, you know, across Canada, um, there are 17 major national ports. There are dozens, if not couple of hundred smaller ports that are not national ports. Um, on, the great, uh, on the Great Lakes, uh, we are the third largest uh, uh, Canadian port and number 10 in the country. So, I mean, you know, I mean, again, um, you know, growing up here, not realizing that uh, not only the economic uh, impacts, but uh, uh, to realize, you know, our, our place in the country, you know, uh, Windsor is certainly not number 10 in, uh, as a city in the country. Uh, we are as a port. <laughs> Oh, number one is Vancouver. Yeah. To give you a, a sense of scale perspective, um, the ports in the Great Lakes um, uh, you know, do a couple of million to about 10 million tons a year. Uh, we're between five and six million a year. Hamilton um, uh, around 10, uh, Thunder Bay around eight, and uh, Oshawa, Toronto, they do two, three million. Um, but uh, Vancouver, 150 million ton. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of Panamax ships. Yeah, <laughs> but that's another neat thing too. Like people have caught on to that, but Port of Windsor is bigger than Port of Toronto, right? Like, yeah, I think that surprises people. Yeah, the Port of uh, Toronto that you were talking me, I think you were saying it's owned by the uh, the airport authority, right? The, the well, are they own the airport? Probably a better way of saying it is the Toronto Port Authority, and they run the they run the island airport. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's a pretty, uh, it's, it's a historical link there, I guess, you know, if you control the harbor and the islands in the harbor and, you know, hundred years later, they build an airport, uh, you know, you own it. Yeah. I mean, what, what's fascinating about the Toronto Harbor Authority, of course, is uh, what we know as Queens Key is all infill for the last, you know, last century. 
Uh, at one point, I mean, if you've ever been in downtown Toronto, uh, right next uh, to the Gardner is a beautiful stone building on uh, Water Street, of course, which is Toronto Harbor Authority's uh, headquarters. That front porch facing the lake was literally on the water. They have a painting uh, in the main lobby of, of getting off a boat onto the front steps and going into the Toronto Port Authority. That was the lake's edge. And everything from there to the lake has been infilled. Um, and the Toronto Port Authority uh, has uh, some kind of license or lease or something. So, um, you know, ports are not just water. We're also major leasing companies and land development companies uh, on the waterfront. And uh, that's certainly true in Toronto, true in Hamilton. Um, here uh, in Windsor, uh, we own many properties, but um, there are some private still. But we also, uh, other properties we own, we lease them out to large companies. Uh, we lease out to companies like Lafarge, uh, St. Mary's Cement, Canada Building, uh, and, and other local operators here. Uh, we also, you know, uh, when we tend to think of the Windsor Harbor, uh, it's tough to think about that when you think of the Detroit River or Detroit Strait of being a nice round harbor like Hamilton or Boston or something. But um, it is still our harbor. And um, and so when people, who, and many people live in the waterfront in Windsor, and as they build in their, their seawalls and build docks at the back of their house, you're now in Windsor Harbor or within Port Authority property. So we lease them riverbed space. We lease air rights to the Ambassador Bridge so they can go over our harbor. We lease uh, air rights to Ontario Hydro to put hydro lines across the river and Kinder Morgan to put pipelines under our river. Uh, so uh, it's not just shipping. Uh, it's also, uh, we're also a major lease company. It sounds like you're, you guys are connection, a vital position for the community that people don't even realize without, without the, the port authorities, because it's such a, I guess it's such an old system that's been around for such a long time. Yeah. Neglected oh. it for such a long time, right? And they don't yeah. realize how I mean, much look activity at, they do. Absolutely. I mean, look at every community on water was located there because of trade. Right. You know, uh, our office is located in the, you know, if you've been through Windsor and the Ambassador Bridge, that's our, that's the, the main port area, the industrial older part of Windsor, uh, known as Sandwich, you know, named after England, Sandwich, England. This is the oldest continuous settlement west of Montreal. There was a Sandwich or a Windsor before there was a London or Hamilton or Montreal uh, or uh, Toronto or, you know, or, or Kingston, et cetera. Uh, this is it. It was Montreal, then here. And, uh, and it was located here because for the same reason that we're here today and so successful today, it was a very short crossing to the, to the land, to, the, to, uh, to, to what is now the States, right? Uh, versus, you know, Lake Ontario or Lake Erie crossing, you could cross the Detroit River very easily and quickly. Uh, the, the, you know, the First Peoples knew that 10,000 years ago. This is the oldest uh, Indigenous settlement in this region. This was a main crossing point. Uh, and camping point uh, because of trade. They would gather from what we now know as Michigan and Upper Lake area and from Southwest Ontario, they would come here and gather and trade. Uh, again, because it was so easy to cross. Well, that's the reason today we're so popular, uh, uh, you know, as a crossing, you know, more goods uh, flow through Windsor, Detroit. Now, it's not much, so much to do with the port, but with the rail, uh, mostly truck now, uh, you know, one third of all goods, all trade in the United States flow, flow between Windsor and Detroit. Uh, 10,000 trucks a day. That's more traffic and more trade through Windsor, Detroit, than crosses Blue Water and all the Niagara crossings combined. You know, uh, so, you know, we, you know, we, we, transportation is who we are. It's been our history. We were here because of, originally because of marine transportation, and we're still here as a major marine port. You know, we're here because of proximity to what's now the, the market across the, in the United States. Uh, we are with less uh, than 12 hours drive to 40 million people in the greatest economic market of the globe, that being the Midwestern United States and Southwest Ontario. If uh, this region, the Great Lakes, was a country, we'd be the third largest economy in the world. You know, so this is major stuff, and we are, couldn't be better positioned. Um, and, and, and any economy, uh, much like armies, depend on the flow, you know, on logistics. So do economies. Economies depend on good logistics, great rail networks, great road networks, great marine uh, systems. 
And uh, in, in here in Windsor, you know, we've adopted a, a, a mission of creating an international integrated transportation system of marine, rail, road, uh, and of course, air here in the Windsor Airport. Uh, you know, and, and nobody's better connected. Uh, you know, when I say we have connection to the United States, it's not, you know, uh, uh, such as a, a Hamilton or Toronto, as you can be in New York in an hour, hour and a half, depending on traffic. Uh, you're in the States here in minutes. I mean, we are right here. You know, the rail is right on the waterfront from, uh, you know, we, we, are, we are building the next major crossing. Uh, so we'll be the most integrated economy in the world right here. We'll be the most integrated transportation between two countries right here. And, and so I think really the challenge uh, for us uh, in Windsor and Southwestern Ontario uh, is, you know, with the construction of this Gordie Howe International Crossing, uh, this brand new bridge, six lane bridge at the busiest border crossing in North America, what does it mean for us as a port? You know, so if we're the gateway to Canada from the American economy, um, you know, are we going to be, you know, uh, is this going to be a, a, an economic boom for us or is it going to be an economic bypass? And my message to the community and many of my colleagues has been um, it's time to decide that now. This bridge will open in 2025. We can't wait to 2025 to decide, wow, look at all this traffic. We got to do something about this. It'll be too late. You know, a couple of things are is that logistic uh, nodes develop quickly and they're really resistant to change. Uh, and secondly, if we don't develop and take advantage of this new trade crossing, this enhanced trade crossing, you can be sure our American cousins will. And they will do what we ought to have done on this side of the border. So I think we are ideally pack, you know, positioned you know, uh, in Windsor. Uh, for goods coming from the Midwest through this crossing to come into Windsor, you know, uh, in terms of uh, distribution, repacking, you know, bring it into here, you know, re repackage it, redistribute it and send it back out. Um, bring it into here. Some may go to Ontario, some may go on a ship, some may go on a rail because we have it all. We're, you know, as soon as you get off the bridge here, you're at the port, you're at the railway, you're at the 401, all in one spot. And, uh, and I think, you know, we got a lot of thinking to do yet, how that's going to work, how we make that happen. But, um, you know, if a $6 billion investment in the best economic heartland, uh, one of the best economic heartlands in the globe is not enough of an advantage, I, I don't know, you know, if we should keep our heads up after this. Yeah, look, at, when I say, you know, a $6 billion bridge, I mean, that, that's a lot of material. <laughs> um, and, and uh, you know, and our argument always is the best way to move bulk material and large materials is always by marine. Uh, and it's not just a bias because I'm in the port world. It just makes economic sense. Um, uh, you know, you, you don't want you know, police, you know, to, to, to organize perpetual police escorts, you know, for large wide loads or long loads. Um, you don't want to be removing hydro lines and trying to get trucks around sharp corners, you know, put it on a large ship or a barge and move it down the Great Lakes uh, to, and then, you know, you're already on the river, you're at the port, you just lift it off a crane and onto it. Um, a lot of bulk materials, of course, uh, concrete, aggregate, you know, um, uh, we, for two years now, we've been uh, moving uh, concrete and aggregate into that site, and it's going to continue for the next two years. Uh, I, I think the scale of this project uh, really should be an episode of mega projects on television. Uh, I mean, this bridge, this bridge, uh, if you've been to Windsor, the GM headquarters is a tall glass tower downtown Detroit, it's 72 stories. Each tower of this bridge on the Canadian American side is taller than that center tower. Oh yes, it's seven, more than 70 stories high. The bridge is six lanes of traffic plus two lanes of, um, you know, of side road or emergency side roads plus bike lane uh, and uh, bike lanes. Wow. 
So uh, the scale of this will make, you know, will make most bridges, um, you know, seem like child's play. It's just going to be a massive undertaking. The amount of steel and concrete uh, required for this, uh, you know, is, uh, is uh, once in a century. So, you know, the, 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 the beginnings of getting plazas down, footings down, has kept this port busy for two years now. Over the next two years, we uh, expect this begin to see, uh, you know, just uh, thousands, uh, uh, thousands of tons of steel come in. Uh, large concrete sections. They, the, the the bridge is constructed by precast concrete, pre-stress uh, concrete sections, uh, and those are very large. And they're going to be brought in by barge. We know that already. And then they're lifted up into place and hooked in. Uh, so uh, the next three years are going to be good years for this community, good years for this port, and uh, an exciting time to watch uh, this built. Uh, you know, I've been, I've heard the phrase, "Oh, this is like a once in a generation, uh, once in a lifetime." I said, no, no, it's once in a century. They built the last bridge in 1929. You know, uh, so you know, then you know, it'll be four generations before we see this scale of a project again. You know. Yeah, Ambassador Bridge, yes. Yeah. Yeah. The only bridge between our two countries in this region right now. Yeah. You ever been on it? It's rick it's rickety. Yeah. You're, you're like oh, you're like holding on. Ah, it's a good water. bridge. It's a good bridge. No, it's it's a it's a solid bridge. Uh you know, it it uh, it was showing its age, but I, I know the Ambassador Bridge Company's put a lot of money into uh refurbishing and restoring it and uh and, and I can tell you from when I was on the the parkway and bridge location site, we had access to engineering studies for that. And the roadbeds, the cables are rock solid. I don't have any fear going over it, but it is a cable bridge. So it, it literally does swing and move. Or if you're sitting in, if you're stuck on traffic on the bridge and the trucks move by you, you literally feel your car go up and down. It's a little unnerving, but consider it a carnival ride, nothing to fear. <laughs> I don't know. My wife doesn't like it always. I, I, I stay in the middle lane. I don't like being on the side next. To uh, that's the funny. There. Yeah. Uh, well, especially now that they've taken out the big old metal railings, and they got this little guardrail like on the side of a highway. Yes. You know, you think that's not stopping anything. <laughs> and, and worse than that, you see right over top of it. There's nothing blocking your view. Right down. Yep. <laughs> right to the port. <laughs> Overcome your fear. There you go. Yeah, that's true too. <laughs> yeah, I know. So maybe talk a little bit about what, what do you see as, I know you're talking about, you know, hey, uh, you know, we don't want to let it bypass. What, what's your idea? What, what do you think should happen on the Southern Ontario, the Windsor-Essex area, you know, maybe in conjunction with uh, London? I'm not sure what the county is in London. Yeah. What should we do different as Canadians um, to help stimulate that uh be not to be the bypass, but be the center hub for, for logistics and, and uh, yeah. something different. What's your vision? What do you see that? Well, I, I think uh, I think initially it needs it, 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 it needs the brain power of a lot more people than just the port or just me. Uh, so we have uh, pulled together a committee, a group in this region of the Chamber of Commerce the Windsor Essex Development Corporation, the Gordie Hell Bridge, the port, the airport, uh, to uh, have created a, a function now where we're creating uh, sector committees, transportation, education, um, uh, industry, agriculture, to say, what does this bridge mean to us in this community? Uh, what could it mean? Uh, what we'll be able to do now that we couldn't have done? Uh, and what do we need to do today to do what we see. How do we create that vision? How do we get to that promised land? And so your question's a good one. And it's a question we are now asking, you know, the, 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 lead, the, the, the leaders and the thinkers in each of the major industrial or, or economic sector in our region. Um, we're not looking as far as London or Toronto yet. Uh, right now, we, you know, we, uh, we thought about that initially. Should we be looking at, you know, bringing people from Toronto to Windsor and Detroit to Cleveland, you know, and say, how do we make this an economic superhighway to collectively. Uh, but th the scale of that organizing effort uh, would just take a massive amount of resources. Um, and of course, COVID hasn't helped in the last year. Uh, so we decided let's start local and, and build regionally and build nationally. 
Uh, I think one of the things that we need to do is um, uh, is certainly you know, look, you know continue to push the federal government to create this as a as an international uh, tr- uh, trade zone. You know, uh, right from the Ambassador Bridge to Niagara, you know, right into Toronto, Kingston. Um, uh, the Port of Hamilton was very successful uh, about two years ago in getting the uh, QEW between Niagara Falls, New York, and, and the Port of Hamilton designated a national trade corridor. And um, and you'll say, well, what does that mean? Well, it means when Canada is promoting on a global stage its economic capacities and why you should come to Ontario or Canada, Ontario to do business in Hamilton, because you have this national trade corridor that easily and quickly moves goods. Remember, logistics is you know is key. Um, well, you know, at that point, I thought. You know, good for you, Hamilton. Good job. I wasn't, you know, resentful at all, but I did think to myself, they're eating our lunch because the truth is, it's still taking you an hour to get to the States. It's taking you minutes to get to the States from here. What are we doing? So I thought the true trade corridor is between Canada and the U.S. But, the, you know, the, the important trade corridor in Ontario and Canada, more than anywhere else in this country, uh, is between us, Hamilton, Niagara Falls. That's the true industrial corridor. And, uh, and so we need to get uh, the federal government to recognize that. Uh, and at the same time, um, you know, create a, a level of excitement and a vision in our community among, like I said, the leaders of all of the agriculture industry, et cetera, to understand uh, the, the opportunities and to begin to make investments. And I think, you know, the federal government's going to have to come to the table probably to, to seed some of this. You know, uh, as an as an industrial strategy, the Global Mail today just wrote that it's you know the 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 whole question of industry strategies is back in vogue after being absent for a decade or two, where we start picking winners, where we start picking uh, key sectors, where we start identifying those sectors that are most ripe for growth and need seeding and support and promotion, and so I think that's going to be critical as well. Yeah, yeah it's interesting because logistics last little bit has been getting more and more focused, which it, it seems to be uh, going with what you're saying is being Windsor logistical hub makes a lot more sense as we're getting more focused internationally on logistics as being a function that we all require. So for the longest time, logistics was always seen as a, like a, a byproduct. It's, some, it's a waste. That it's mm-hmm. a necessary evil. But now it's becoming more of a, it's a solution to a lot of people's problems, you know, you know, the final mile delivery, the big bulk uh, movement of goods, you know, expanding it, you know, the Windsor Airport would be a great idea, making more of an international uh, airport, relieve some of that pressure off of, you know, Toronto, uh, have more of those international flights flying into Windsor or more cargo freight coming into Windsor, like Hamilton did, would be a neat yeah. idea. Again, you know, hats off to Hamilton, they got it right, you know, they weren't going to compete, um, necessarily for the, the passenger traffic, but they became a major cargo airport mm-hmm. because it's easier to move goods in and out of Hamilton. Than it is out of the GT, you know, in, right, you know, right down on uh, the 401 and, and 427. It's insane to drive in there. Uh, and, and Windsor has that same advantage, you know, um, you know, bring goods into, you know, through into Windsor through there into a, into a logistics note here or bring it out the airport, bring it out through Marine, through rail. You know, I said, it, when you give, I think uh, industry or shippers, uh, all options, all equally available, uh, all equally attractive. Uh, uh, I, I think you you take you take a, a no off the table, you know, as to why come to Windsor, why come to Canada, why come to Ontario, why come to Windsor. You know, you begin to say, you know, we have the lowest tax rate already. You know, uh, we're a free trade zone. We have all four modes of transportation. You have instant direct access. Uh, to the American market, uh, you, you begin to you build a case as to from why Windsor to why not. And, and that's where we've got to get to. It's, it's, it's a lot, right? It's, I, I think it's going to be an interesting cosmos as they develop it out. You know, I, I, what I'd like to see as a person who works in transportation would be a, a giant, almost industrial park that has uh, truck stop has rail siding right to it. It has, yep. uh, you know, access to the port, you know, and, you know, it, it, trucks that are able to have a great sleeping area, good, you know, for, for truckers to go yep. in, get some food, 
that would be something that you know I can see being developed close to the Gordie Howe Bridge, uh, yeah. and, and and being a part of that community there because it's needed. Being bonded, have cold storage because meat inspections are a, a pain. I know from our perspective of dealing with trucks and brokerages and all that. Having that kind of one-stop solution, I, I think is something that you know sounds like that you guys are looking to do, and I think it'll be a fantastic way to kind of help promote the Windsor area, make it more into a, a hub uh, versus a bypass, which is you know instead of build a better highway. It's the real risk. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, you drop off the bridge onto our new billion, two billion dollar highway, and off you go. Um, that wasn't a great you know advantage or plus for this community at all. Um, you know, again, it's, it's, you know, building on our current strengths, you know, um, in terms of dealing with international flows of trucking, bonding, uh, clearances, customs, duties, we're so good at that already. You know, um, we, you know, we uh, experienced that, you know, back in 9-11, you know, that infamous day of the trade towers. But, uh, you know, for us in this region, it wasn't just the shock and horror and trauma of that attack. We had 30 kilometers of trucks, three lanes wide, backed up from the foot of the river back out into the county for days and days and days until they got the border open. And, and we realized, you know, that security will always trump trade. Uh, and we, we also learned quickly is that we had to get new systems in place to move this these trucks and goods through quickly. And those same systems apply to shipping and rail and air. Uh, so, you know, systems like FAST and et cetera were developed, you know, pre-clearance, uh, pre-certifications, uh, all these things were put in place. That was, you know, driven through, you know, uh, uh, through initiatives and, and major key transportation players from this community. And, and so we have that expertise. We need to continue to build on it. You know, the example I use in my talks uh, in, in the community uh, in terms of the potential is, uh, you know, I look for a parallel, you know, and, and, the, and the parallel I grab, you know, is the uh, Atlanta Hartfield, uh, Hart, uh, Hartfield, I think it is, airport, the Atlanta airport. And, uh, and it became the largest, busiest airport in North, North America. And I thought, you know, you think, uh, and it became the hub, you know, of, of systems of, and you think, if you look at a map, you wouldn't have put it down on the bottom right corner of the United States. You would have put it in the center of the states or more north, a little more west, you know, centralize it a bit. But at some point, you know, a, a few decades back, somebody had the vision to say, you know, um, what if we made an airport attractive enough to track, you know, uh, airlines to come here? We will service your airport. You can get on, switch to another flight and go out again. Um, and somebody had that vision. I'm sure it started slowly, and I'm sure it seemed like a wild idea, but they grew in, as I said, to the largest, busiest airport in North America. It's not just the airport, though. I mean, if you've ever been to Atlanta, there's a, they call it a ring road. It's just a large freeway that literally does a circle around Atlanta. And as you come, if you swing around the airport, not only are you impressed by the scale of that airport, but the industry that just goes on kilometer after kilometer after kilometer along that route, that's all related to airport. It's all logistics related to the airport. It's all services related to the airport. The airport was an economic generator. And, and, and that's what we need to do with logistics. We need to say logistics in this community, all four modes are an economic generator. Um, you know, the second analogy I use is uh, you mentioned, you know, large truck yards and stuff, you know, service centers. Um, one of the largest service centers uh, in the West is about 50 or 60 miles west of Regina on the Trans-Canada, not in Regina, you know, not, not in Winnipeg, you know, uh, not in the GTA, but in the middle of nowhere. Now it was land cheap, maybe, but it's just an odd place, <laughs> you know, uh, but what it tells you is if you have the vision, it'll work. And so I think you're right. If we want to be a logistics hub, part of that would be talking to our, you know, leaders in the, in, in the trucking industry in this area, what attracts truckers, you know, uh, as you say, sleeping facilities, uh, you know, uh, shower, recreation, food, rest, uh, truck servicing, washing, security, you know, all those things will attract and they'll say, you know what, um, I'm not going to stop in Toledo on the way through or I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to stop in Windsor. You know, uh, so, you know, of those 10,000 trucks, you know, if 10,000 trucks a day see Windsor as a great place, you know, to, for, a, for a service stop or a layover, uh, that's great for this community. 
Um, and if industry sees that, oh, wait a minute, you know, we have, we have no problem, you know, getting access to available trucks in, in the Windsor area, you know, it's a good place to locate a plant because you don't have a problem finding trucks or trucks aren't traveling long distances to your plant and away from your plant adding costs. They're already here. Uh, so uh, I think as you, as you've suggested, Matt, it builds on itself, you know, um, uh, you know, you, you have the trucks coming, so you add a service. A service, uh, you know, attracts the availability of, of, a, of a concentrated transportation node. People are going to take advantage of it. You know, just as, you know, the old truism that, you know, uh, new roads don't leave traffic, they create new traffic. Yeah. And, uh, and and it's true as well, you know, um, uh, when you have a port, people locate here. They didn't locate further down the lake or further up the lake from us. They located here. There was a port here. So, you know, this is where ADM located. You know, this is where, you know, St. Mary's Cement located. It's where Lafarge located because the port is here. Yeah. You know, and the, and, and the transportation links are here. And so we just got to keep building on our success and, and seeing it at a much larger scale. And, and it truly is very unique because, if you're, like you said, it has a lot of different nodes right there, which a lot of communities don't. Uh, no, no, we are the envy of any community. Yeah. And, and we should, as Canadians, really uh, emphasize on that. Cause we, like, we've talked about it in previous uh, talks that we've had. We talked about, you know, the uh, going out to Newfoundland uh, with the OceanX and the competitor TMSI. Like we have these yeah. such unique logistical problems here in Canada that's not developed anywhere. Like one of our one of our own guys here was he had a shipment out to none of it, and the first thing he goes, "How do I ship to none of it?" And we said, you know, "He's like, do I ship it by water? Do I ship it by air? I can't ship it by road. Like, how, how do we go about doing this, right?" Yeah, sort of yeah. Have a need, right? And a lot of people don't understand the the, the the ease of that transportation, the ease of that logistics will attract people to the area. You know, something simple as building a yard out in Windsor for that's international use for everybody. They pay for a spot. They can drop their trailer. You know, if you have mm -hmm. 10,000 trucks dropping their trailers there, and then they have car rental, you know, nearby. So you can grab a car, go buy a gift for his mm -hmm. wife on the way back to Toronto, spend the night there instead of, you know, being tired, driving down the road, and then causing an accident. You know, because he's like, I really want to get home. But if he has a safe haven spot to stop, we're just increasing that yeah. flow, right? So I, I think that's a very, you know, great way to look at it to help promote that uh, that project because it connects not only the port, it connects the bridge that we're talking about, like you said, the, the airport, the community of Windsor, which needs to be revived as well. It's a, it, it was once a great city when automotive was great, but now it needs to have that different- Yeah, it's, it's not our future. In it. You know, I mean, it's still core to who we are as a community and a lot of great paying jobs, highly skilled tool die makers, but uh, you, you got to continuously diversify your economy. You got to continuously evolve your economy and Given that, uh, you know, uh, service and logistics, you know, we're a consumer society in America is, we're increasingly becoming a consumer society and consumer societies work through the movements of goods mm -hmm. and, and logistics is the core. Oh, it's absolutely going to be operational. Um, you know, as I said in my introduction, I, I was, uh, intimately involved in, in, in the siting uh, of, of the new Gordie Howe Bridge uh, with the government. And, and our message then uh, and answer to anybody who asked was, this is not a replacement. Uh, the volume of trade and the growth of trade demands more bridge lanes. Given that we have four lanes at the Ambassador Bridge doing more volume and more, and more dollars of trade than every other crossing in Ontario combined. Um, we were a little shy you know, of space. And if you're in Windsor and you see the trucks lined up over the bridge and down here in line, um, you know, we need more. And, uh, you know, I just said a few minutes ago, new roads create new traffic. New bridges are going to create new trade routes. <laughs> yep. Sorry? Is the current bridge private or government owned? It's private. Yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's owned uh, by one corporation. Uh, Matty Maroon just uh, sadly died a few months back. Uh, he he was a sole owner. It was not a not even a public corporation. Uh, so um, it was one of those things, uh, you know. You say, you know, uh, one of the coolest things, you know, when you met him or talked to him is that he owns the bridge. I mean, he owns the bridge. <laughs> not he's not the president or of a corporation. I mean, he owns the bridge. <laughs> Best pickup line ever. What, what do you got? 
for the new bridge coming up? Is that the same thing? So the new bridge, uh, new bridge is being uh, constructed uh, and fully funded by the government. It'll be recovered through fees. Uh, there will it's it's under uh, a P3 type of project. Right? They have a different name for it, but it's a P3 essentially. Uh, and so the company that uh, the consortium that is building it will also operate it for 25 years, and they have certain performance standards, and they'll be paid for, you know for construction and, and delivery. Uh, but the fees all come back to the government, and they pay out the construction and, and management costs from there. Um, but it will have a public authority. It hasn't been uh, finalized yet, though there will be a public authority uh, that overlooks the, uh, the, the bridge operation. Uh, much like uh, there's a Blue Water Bridge Authority and there's, you know, uh, Rainbow Bridge Authority in Niagara and all that. There will be a Detroit, Winter Detroit Bridge Authority of some type. Mr. Steve, did you have anything that you wanted to add before we start closing off on this wonderful podcast about the Port of Windsor? Well, uh, other than to tell you that, uh, you know, during this last year of COVID, uh, a lot of industries struggled, um, but the shipping industry continued. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, unfortunately, earlier in my uh, comments that it was on the backs of some really uh, unfortunate people who couldn't leave a ship, but the ships kept moving and the goods kept moving. There were very few days lost on the globe to the movement of goods uh, and supplies. And, and it doesn't take long for the shipping industry to be interrupted before you'll notice so quickly. You have, I'm sure in the last year, you've been going to stores and you say, yeah, we haven't got that. Or you go online that says, out of stock, don't know when it's coming in. Those are just the minor, yeah, go to a liquor store. You'll find nothing so few products, difficult to find products from offshore yeah. um, because it, it's all coming by ship and, um, and, it, it, and it's critical. You know, we, we absolutely, our economy depends on the movement of goods continuously and interruptions are painful. That's why we're all concerned about the current labor situation right now in Montreal, looking forward to that getting resolved. Uh, but I mean, Montreal was on strike last year for a few weeks and suddenly, you know, uh, electronics and products were missing off the shelves and they would tell you, well, oh, there's a strike in Montreal. And I said, I know, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, uh, because I'm feeling it personally too. But the truth was that, that we persevered through COVID. All ports, ports were declared in the central service. Our ports never closed one day during the whole COVID thing. Um, while many of us have the opportunity to work from home, um, uh, uh, the port workers each day continue to work, uh, you know, uh, every day uh, uh, they had to take certain precautions, of course, uh, and protocols to ensure their own safety. But uh, we had no cases of COVID in our port. Uh, we were very relieved by that. Um, uh, we actually had uh, only a, two cases of COVID uh, the entire year. But just this week, there's a ship that finally up in Thunder Bay is unfortunately um, uh, had an, a COVID outbreak, but that's the only ship in an entire year. Wow, that's the chief. You know, so our protocols are working. The safety, you know, the, the protection of our on-ship folk and our onshore folk are working, and our communities are safe because of it. And our communities are continuing. You know, we're still moving the steel and the aggregates for construction and uh, and products that people need. Uh, food products and consumer products haven't stopped. Uh, and I and I think. Uh, uh, when you hear, I went to buy a card or a replacement card this past February, and they said, yeah, well, we don't have any more of those because they didn't build a car all of March. We never stopped. That's amazing. That's an achievement. That's something yeah. that we're proud of, you know, and that we should recognize. Again, you know, we, we thank the trucker that, uh, all through life. And the truckers yeah. never stopped. Yeah. Exactly, right? And yeah. we, 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 should, we should recognize all logistics professionals because we never, anybody, we're warehousing, uh, you know, for the people working at agriculture on the farms, you know, a lot of them didn't stop. You know, it kept going and going. Uh, it, it was, it's been truly a, a hard year for everybody. And, you know, thankfully, a lot of the people that work in these industries kept pushing through. And we were able to put electronics, food, clothing on our backs. And, and yep. the average Canadian forgets about how really it gets there. These go, oh, like you said, oh, it's out of stock. My day is ruined. But it's a lot of time, <laughs> effort, and money that goes into it, making it happen the way it happens. So that's a great call. Yeah. I really appreciate that. Well, any, any well I appreciate this opportunity. Absolutely. <laughs> well, just thank you so much for your time, Steve, and knowledge. I definitely learned a lot of this one. It's uh, something that I don't have much, very much knowledge on. 
So I'm definitely uh, more well-rounded about the sport of Windsor and the sports in general. Me too. I, I, I like it. I, I It's one thing that I don't get enough of. I'd like to, you know, learn more about it. And I'm glad we had these conversations. And, and we're hoping to, one day when COVID open, it opens up, like we said, we'll come down to the port of Windsor. We'll do a we're recording what it looks Absolutely. like. Absolutely. Love, love to give you a tour and uh, and bring you across the Ambassador Bridge, AP. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that'll be me. I'll stay on this side. <laughs> yeah. So you're going to go home tonight and say, that came on a boat, that came on a boat, that came on a boat. <laughs> That's right. Well, thank you so much, Steve. Thank okay, you guys. And thanks for telling us uh, everything we need to know about the Port of Windsor. Anybody ever has any questions about the Port of Windsor or any want to get in touch with somebody about uh, Highway H2O, which is the, the alternative highway. Absolutely. Reach out. Yes, he has great contacts. It's it's a really interesting wealth of knowledge. Or if, you, if you're just even curious about more about it, I highly recommend just even go on the Port of Windsor website. They have pretty cool photos, what goes on down there, um, and reach out and, and, uh, and learn a little bit more. So thank you so much. You bet. <laughs>